0: Paul, to the church in Rome, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you, for she herself has been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers, in Christ Jesus. Who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also, greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet, greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord. Also, his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you, would you bow with me? Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of worship, of gathering together. We need worship because we need an outlet for our joy in you. We need an outlet to praise you. We need an outlet to sing, to read, to pray, to affirm. You're our God and we would have no other. And we need to do this with your people. We need to gather together to affirm not just as individuals, but as one corporate body. That we together love you and we would have no other. And we thank you for this body, Grace Bible Church in Granbury, Texas, that you have put together. and You've knit us together. You've bonded us together. You've brought us together for the sake of the work of the ministry, for the proclamation of Your name to be a gospel light in Granbury, to be a ascending agency, to be a gospel light all across the globe. Thank You for ministering with these people, these beloved that we love. Thank You that we stand in a long line of faithful churches, faithful people who have served you. And would you use this passage that as we first read it really doesn't seem to be terribly significant. Would you use this passage to knit our hearts together with you? And would you make our light for Christ Shine ever bolder because of what we hear today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In Elmer Bendiner's book, Fall of Fortresses, he recounts an air raid in World War II of Castle, Germany, in an airplane in which he served as the navigator, a B-17 airplane named the Tondoloyo. More than three decades after that event in July of 1943, he and the pilot, Bon Fox, got together to talk about their war experiences. And eventually their conversation went back to that traumatic flight on July 30th of 1943. It was a tremendous fight in the air over Germany in which they had taken a tremendous amount of flack. And they didn't understand the gravity of what happened until they got on the ground, and even in the conversation that Ben Diner and Fox had together. Let me read from Ben Diner's book, Fall of Fortresses. I reflected on the miracle of a 20-millimeter Shell piercing the fuel tank without touching off an explosion. That indeed was one of the things that had happened. They'd, They'd found a shell in the fuel tank, unexploded. Now Bond licked his chops so that I could see that a revelation was on the verge. It was not the case of an unexploded shell in a gas tank, he said. It was not so simple a miracle. At the time, Bond too had thought that it was no more than that. And on the morning following Castle, while I slept late and missed my breakfast, Bond had gone down to ask our crew chief for that shell as a souvenir of unbelievable luck. Marsden told Bond that there had not just been one shell, but eleven of them in the gas tanks. Eleven unexploded shells where only one would have sufficed to blast us out of the sky with no time for shoots. It was as if the sea had parted for us. Bond was told that the shells had been sent to the armorers to be defused. The armorers had told him that intelligence had picked them up and they could not say why. The professorial captain of intelligence confirmed the story. Eleven shells were in fact found in Tondaleo's tanks. No, he could not give one of them to Bond. Sorry, he could not say why. Eventually, the captain broke down and told Bond the story and swore Bond to secrecy, parentheses, which is why no one knew for 30 years the nature of the story. The armorers who, happened, who opened up each of those shells had found no explosive charge. They were as clean as a whistle and harmless. Empty? No, not quite, said the captain. One was not empty. It contained a carefully rolled piece of paper. On it was a scrawl in Czech. The intelligence captain scoured Kimballton for a man who could read Czech. Translated, the note read, This is all we can do for you now. This is all we can do for you. The Czech saboteur obviously wanted to do good for the Allies. But he had no idea of the lives he saved as he put that piece of paper into that bomb. It seemed to be to him probably a simple thing to do, though dangerous nonetheless, perhaps insignificant. Was it worth the risk? Was it worth the effort? The men on that crew would tell you, indeed it was. At times as we serve in the church, we may wonder about the significance of what we do. Is it worth it? Am I making a difference? Am I really helping anyone? Am I really being useful to the Lord, effective for the Master? In a passage that seems to be on the fringes of something that is useful, we, we believe 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproving, correcting, training and righteousness. All Scripture. You get to a passage like this and you go, Well, I know it's inspired, preacher, but I'm not sure about the profitability. Is it really profitable? In this passage, we have found that Paul greets the Roman church. In fact, in these 16 verses, he greets 24 people by name. He greets two other people, not by name, but identifies them by their circumstance. He identifies and greets five different groups, including apparently three house churches. In the verses that follow this section, he will send greetings to Rome from eight other individuals. It's, It's a chapter that's filled with names. And what's the significance? We're going to draw a number of principles from this passage, but... As an overview, I think it's helpful to remember what Francis Schaeffer said, and that is there are no little people in Christ's church. He says this, the Scripture emphasizes that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul identifies in this passage and in these verses. His lesson for us in this passage is simply this, Treat every church member as vital to the church. Treat every church member as vital to the church. He's, He's going to exemplify the kinds of relationships that we ought to have within the body. And He's going to exemplify the kinds of relationships we ought to have with every member of the body. That no one is excluded from the kind of care, the kind of love that He affirms. In this passage, we're going to find that the Apostle teaches us the importance of every member to the body of Christ. The importance of every member to the body of Christ. He's going to start in a particular way. You might think, well, this is all just 16 verses of the same thing. And there's a slight difference. And actually, the first two verses probably should be taken to be set apart from the others. And he addresses in verse verse 1 and 2 of chapter 16 a believer named Phoebe. And he's going to tell us about the importance of Phoebe. And I just want you to just give you an overview of seeing the difference. Notice he says in verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. And then starting in verse 3, he starts using the word greet. So greet Pris and Aquila. Um, Verse 5, greet the church in their house. Greet Eponidas. Greet Mary. Greet Andronicus. Greet uh, Ampliatus. This is a passage that's not fair to preachers that didn't live in the first century. The names are... Tongue twisters. What I want you to notice is in verse 1 he commends and after that he greets. And it's so as if he's setting aside Phoebe in a particular kind of a way. How is it that he is affirming Phoebe's importance? When he says that he wants to commend her, he is affirming to the readers in Rome that they ought to have a trusted relationship of friendship with her. She's, he's saying... I'm vouching for her. You can trust her. She's a a trustworthy person. She has authentic faith in Christ. She's genuine. You You can place your trust in her. This kind of commendation was not unusual in the early church. Letters were frequently sent from church to church to affirm, to commend believers who were carrying those letters. We find just such an example in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 there's multiple examples in the scriptures but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Paul says this in verse 1 are we beginning to commend ourselves again do we do we have to commend ourselves do we need to prove to you again that that we're genuine authentic that you can trust us or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you do, do Has our relationship with you gotten to such a place that you you don't trust us, that we need somebody else to write one of these letters of affirmation to affirm that you can trust us? It's a letter of transfer, if you will, of someone who is moving from one city to another and their trustworthiness. And Paul is apparently commending Phoebe to the Roman church because we don't know this with certainty, but it seems likely that Phoebe is leaving where she is, around Corinth, in Sancria particularly, but that's a neighbor of, of Corinth. She's leaving there, and she is headed to Rome. Paul wants to go to Rome ultimately, but knows he's going to Jerusalem first, and so he writes this letter to the Romans, anticipating that as soon as he gets to Jerusalem, drops off the money for the Jerusalem church, that he'll be able to leave quickly and go back. To Rome. And he's sending this letter with Phoebe, we believe. And he's authenticating not only his letter, but he's authentic, authenticating Phoebe as she carries this letter to Rome on his behalf. It's a note simply to affirm her credibility to the Roman church. In the second part of the first verse, the apostle then commends Phoebe's work to the church. Who was this Phoebe? What did she do? She is a servant of the church which is in Sincrea. Everything we know about Phoebe is in Romans 16, 1 and 2. We know nothing else about her. But we can devise a few things about her or surmise a few things. We believe that She's probably a Gentile woman. We don't believe that she is a Jew because her name comes from Greek mythology and it would be highly unlikely that a Jew would name their child after a Greek mythological figure. So she's likely a Jew. She is likely prosperous. So we find in verse 2 that she has been a helper of many. We can take that word helper and give it the sense of she's been a patron of many. She has underwritten many. She's, she's provided for many. She has cared for many. So it's it's possible, maybe even likely, that she has been a prosperous businesswoman. And yet despite her significant position in that church, she was a servant of the church. She's, she's been one who has placed herself under in caring for others. Now that word... Servant can be translated a couple of different ways. It can be translated, just as I've translated it for you, or read it for you, servant. It can also be translated deacon, or with a feminine form, deaconess. So there's great debate among the scholars and commentaries. I read a lot about that this week. Is she a deaconess or a servant? And it's about evenly split between the two. Some say she's a deaconess, having a formal position... In serving in the church, that's at Sancrea, others say she's simply a servant. My inclination is that it's pointing to the fact that she is simply a servant. Um, That's generally the way that word was used. The word was used with with specificity to a particular office of deacon, only rarely in the New Testament. Generally, when that word is used in the New Testament and in the epistles, generally it refers simply to one who is a servant and is caring for others. Moreover, as you work your way through this passage, there are no other references to anybody having a particular office within the church. And so I think Paul is just pointing to the fact that she has been a servant, not pointing to a particular office that she has held within the church. Regardless, though, however we take it, it is clear that Paul thinks highly of her because of her work because of her labor, because of what she's doing. And notice that the text says she is a servant of the church. Not just not she's a servant of her friends, not just she's a servant of some, but she is a servant of the entire church that's that's at Sincreia. We don't know very much about Sincreia other than it was somewhere between seven and nine miles from Corinth. It was on the... Um, Aegean C, along with Corinth, it was a port city, it was a wealthy city, and it likely had um, all of the influences there that were at the Corinthian church. It was, it was very likely a, a, a pagan, unruly, licentious kind of place to live. And in that place of significant cultural temptations, the Apostle says, here's this woman who has served that church, and by extension, Christ, he'll mention that in a moment, well. What has she done? She's been a faithful servant of Christ. Phoebe is also important because of the ministry that the church in Rome should provide to her. That's verse 2. I commend her to you, Asking, verse 2, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. And Paul says, receive her. Welcome her. Treat her well. Embrace her. It's not too hard to understand what reception is, is it? I mean, you walk in the door this morning and You're either feeling received or not received, right? You walk in the door and you see somebody, you go to shake their hand, they turn their back on you and they walk away. That's non-reception. You see somebody, you walk in the door, you see somebody, their face lights up, they open their arms and they embrace you. That's a good Grace Bible Church welcome. That's reception. And Paul's going to play that out just a little bit more at the end of this verse. But he's just saying that there's a kind of relationship that comes from being in the Lord. That even though she's coming from a different place and even though you don't know her, that when she walks in the door, you embrace and you welcome and and, and you say, you're one of us. And you treat her as one of us. Because she's in the Lord and you're in the Lord. Paul says, it's, it's a manner that reception that is worthy of the saints. That's what that's what we do. Why does Grace Bible Church just kind of roll out the carpet on conference weekend and have all these great snacks out and all these smiles and all these it's my joys to serve you because it's fitting of those who follow Christ. Why is, our reputation, is, 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 uh, why is our reputation one of being a loving, embracing, welcoming church? Because that's what followers of Jesus Christ do. We care for one another. We embrace one another. It's fitting. It's appropriate. This is the very kind of thing that the Apostle talked about in chapter 12. That's why we read that section earlier this morning, starting in verse 9, right? Well, love without hypocrisy. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. Don't lag behind in diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Persevere in tribulation. Be devoted to prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. That's what we do. That's what it means to be infused and filled with the Spirit of God. And so Paul says, receive her. Don't just receive her. Notice the end of the verse. But help her, in whatever manner she may have need of you. The word help has the idea of standing alongside someone. And Paul uses that in another place. Second Timothy chapter 4, he says in verse 17, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through the proclamation... So through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished. The Lord stood with me. That's our word. The Lord helped me. And Paul says, in a sense, I don't know what she's going to need. But I'm anticipating when she gets to Rome after that long boat ride, she's going to need something. She's going to need a place to stay. She's going to need a meal. She's going to need some hospitality. She's going to need directions to Kroger. Help her. I can't vouch for this. I won't even say it's implied by the text. But as I read this, I wondered... Notice the end of the verse. He says, because she has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. And by that, Paul means she's helped me... She's helped others. Would you fill up my opportunity to help her by helping her? Because I can't right now. I'm going to be in Jerusalem. I can't help her when she gets to Rome. So you can fill my role in her life. I think that's what he intends. But as I read that and thought about that this week, I'm also wondering, did she help so much in Sencria? So she's tapped out. She doesn't have anything left. And that getting to Rome with this letter from from Paul is, is going to deplete the coffers. And she's empty. And she's going to be reliant on others. Uh, as a professor in seminary said, weak point, pound harder. I don't know. I'm not dying on that hill. But it did make me wonder this woman who's helped so many, why does she suddenly need help? I think it's logical to assume that that's possible. And Paul's pointed out this woman. Isn't that interesting? This woman we know nothing else about. She's an unknown believer tucked away in a church that we know nothing else about who Paul says she's faithful, She's a helper. She's had a significant, can I use the word, dynamic ministry. She was needed in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, Phoebe is a picture of all of our service. In fact, I think think Paul in this passage, one of the things he's doing is, is he's setting apart Phoebe right at the beginning in a sense just to lay the groundwork of everything else that he's going to say about greeting everyone else in this passage. Phoebe's just a picture of all of us in all of our ministry. Phoebe's important. And there are others important as well. The list of this name, uh, the list of names in this section is longer than any other list of names that the apostle Paul writes anywhere else in the scriptures. The only one that even comes remotely close and it doesn't come close at all is the passage we read earlier in Colossians 4. Maybe you are wondering, why is he reading that? Because it's a similar passage with a similar tone and a similar message and similar kinds of greetings, though much shorter. The Apostle begins most of these verses with the word greet. Verse 3, greet, prissa, and aquila. That word greet is used 59 times in the New Testament. 21 times it's used in Romans 16. 35% of its uses are in this chapter. That's pretty significant. And that word greet simply means be hospitable, embrace, take care of each other. He's not just saying, hey, when you see those guys, say hi for me. I mean, that's part of it. But he means something more than that. Be hospitable to them. Welcome, greet, firm. The first people he sends greetings to are Prissa and Aquila. They had been in Rome previously. We know this from Acts 18, chapter two. And and under uh, Emperor Claudius, they were along with all the rest of the Jews expelled from Rome. Left Rome. They traveled later with Paul. They went to him. Went, went with him both to Ephesus. And to Corinth, ministered with him in those places. And then from there, they went back to Rome. They'd resettled in Rome, and we know eventually they're going to make their way back to Ephesus again. So they were, they were church planters extraordinaire. They were all over the ancient world. And Paul says, they're fellow workers with me. What was significant about them is, that they worked together with with Paul. They worked together with him in a number of different places, in a number of different contexts. But what is particularly significant is they worked together with Paul in Christ Jesus. What bonded him to them and them to him is Christ Jesus. And isn't that indicative of the kind of fellowship that we share with one another? So somebody walks in, from another place, another state, and by the time you finish talking with them, you're embracing and welcoming and exchanging phone numbers and saying, let's stay in contact. And that's what happened with Paul and Prissa and Aquila. There was also something else unique about their relationship. Notice he says in verse 4, who for my life risked their own necks. They put their lives on the line in order to protect Paul's life. We have no idea what they did. We just know that they willingly endangered their life. They were willing to sacrifice their life for Paul. They traveled with Paul extensively. And we would be absolutely just guessing if we were to surmise about what they did. We have no idea. What's interesting is that Paul gives thanks. That's appropriate, right? (laughs) You saved my life. But not only does Paul, but notice the end of verse 4, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Their reputation, though we don't know what they did, their reputation of what they did spread through all the churches, probably in Asia Minor and perhaps even further than that. And this is a reminder to us, as we think about Pris and Aquila, that following Jesus Christ is risky. If we want safety on earth then by all means, stop following Christ. If your goal is a risk-free life, don't follow Christ. Because Christ will not provide a risk-free life. But if you want safety in eternity, if you want security in an infinite measure and an eternal place, then by all means, follow Christ. Christ. Do everything you can to follow Christ because you may not be safe here, but you will be safe eternally. Following Christ is inherently risky. There's something else to be reminded of here, and that is that believers are more concerned about caring for the lives of others than they are protecting their own lives. What person Aquila did for the Apostle Paul was not unusual. That's what believers in Christ do for one another. We lay our lives on the line for each other. It's what they did. That's what Paul did in other places. And it's what we do for one another. In verse 5, the apostle says, Greet the church that is in their house. It's a reference to a house church in Rome. Churches in those days were... All city churches. It would be like saying, greet the church in Granbury, the singular church in Granbury. Where do we go to meet in Granbury, in one place? All the believers. They couldn't typically meet in one place. Occasionally, they evidently did, because uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23, he talks about the whole church being in one place. So apparently, periodically, they did meet everyone together. But Most of the time they met in smaller house churches and Prison Aquila evidently hosted one of those house churches. So Paul said, greet those people. Embrace, welcome those who are in that church. We also find two other house churches evidently. I mentioned in this passage verse 14, greet the brethren with them. Verse 16, greet all the saints who are with them. We think that's probably references to additional house churches. So Paul's writing this letter to the whole church in Rome, and then he's singling out a few particular house churches within the Roman church. Also, verse 5, Greet Eponatus, my beloved, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Epinatus evidently had been led to, to Christ by the Apostle Paul in Asia, and that made him particularly beloved. He thinks about Eponatus started in Asia minor now he's he's moved to the roman church taking a boat ride across the mediterranean sea to get there and he thinks about him and he thinks about everything that flowed from the conversion of epinatus and he thinks about him with fondness he has a particular joy for him verse 6 greet mary who's worked hard for you who's mary who knows Probably a Jew, it was a common Jewish name. There are lots of Marys in the Gospels. Maybe one of them, perhaps, possibly, one of them moved on to Rome. No idea. It was also a Greek name. So potentially it was a Gentile woman. We have no idea who that is. There's nothing else to identify her particularly, other than she's worked hard. We don't know what she did. We just know that she worked hard. She put her heart and soul into the work of the ministry. She struggled. She toiled. That's what ministry is. Did you all love doing what you did this last weekend? Yeah, did some of you kind of drag in a little bit for worship this morning saying, I'm just a little weary. You bet. Do you love discipling? Do you love counseling? Do you love... Pouring your lives into people? Do you love teaching? Do you, do you love administering the word to someone's life? You bet. Do you sometimes go home from those and just feel tanked? Yeah. That's what ministry's like, and that's what Mary did. This unnamed, well, she's named, but anonymous woman. Verse 7 Greet, greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen. Who are they? I don't know. Male or female? Well, Andronicus is a man. Junius? Don't know. Could be a man, could be a woman. Speculation is it's probably a woman. The form that the Apostle Paul uses there can be taken either as a feminine or a masculine name. Speculation is it's probably a husband and wife team. Can't say that for certain. They're probably Jewish. They're my kinsmen. That word kinsman is used of blood relatives at times in the New Testament, particularly the Gospels. Paul uses that also to refer to fellow Israelites. I think that's what the apostle means there. They're they're Jews living in a Gentile church, functioning there. He also identifies them as my fellow prisoners. When were they imprisoned with him? No idea. Where were they imprisoned with him? No idea. Paul was imprisoned seven times. It could be that they were imprisoned with him on one of those seven occasions. It could be that they were imprisoned at a separate time in a separate place from him, but simply he is identifying them as those who also have been imprisoned for the cause of Christ, even as he has been imprisoned. Honestly, we just don't know. We do know this. They're outstanding among the apostles who were in Christ before me. Does that mean that they have a good reputation among the apostles or that they are tremendous? As apostles. Or are they tremendous as people who are sent out, which is what the word apostle means. Not really sure what the apostle means there. My leaning is that he is saying they are people who have been sent out, maybe on a missionary venture. And they have been sent out and they are outstanding in what they have done. I think because they have been imprisoned for the cause of Christ That's what the Apostle is thinking about there. He's fond of them as well because they were in Christ before me. They came to Christ before the Apostle Paul did and they persisted in their faith as they went along. Verses 8 and 9. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker. Stachys, my beloved. Who are they? Not a clue. Only time they're mentioned in Scripture... All we know about them is that they are likely Gentiles and they had a beloved relationship with Paul. Wouldn't, wouldn't Side note, this isn't even in my notes, but wouldn't you like the Apostle Paul to say, my beloved? Isn't that a sweet relationship? Isn't it, isn't it a kindness when we affirm to one another our love for each other? Sometimes I'll See some of y'all in public and maybe we'll meet at the grocery store or be sitting at a restaurant. And you'll have a friend come by and that friend doesn't know me. And you'll introduce me. And a lot of times you'll say, this is my pastor, Terry. That's fine. I I embrace that. I welcome that. You know what makes my heart sing? Is when you say, this is my friend, Terry. Terry. You're saying, this is my beloved. This is the one I have sweet fellowship with. This is my friend. My co-worker. I love that. No test in the future, by the way. Just That was a side note. Isn't it good to, isn't it good to affirm to each other we love each other? and We have bonds of fellowship. That's what the Apostle is doing all through this passage. I must hasten on. I promised I'd get done. Greta Pellas, the approved in Christ. That word approved means he's been tested and found genuine. We don't know how he was tested, but it was public. And Whatever it was that he did, it was well known among the church members that were there. It seems that he is probably part of those who were greeted, who were part of the household of Aristobulus. We don't think that Aristobulus was a believer. Notice he does not say greet Aristobulus. It's likely that Aristobulus was already dead, that Aristobulus was not a believer in Jesus Christ, but but from his legacy financially, his household continued, and in his household there were some who had been converted to Christ and they remained in his household. What's interesting to note about Aristobulus as well is that historians outside the Scriptures tell us that he was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was a significant person in government. He's the brother of Agrippa I. And he died somewhere between 45 and 48 A.D. And from his legacy, again, some came to Christ... And they were well known for being in Christ, even though they're serving in a ungodly household. Verse 11, greet Herodian, my kinsman. Again, evidently, another, another Jew living in Israel. Herodian probably is a member of the Herodians, I-A-N-S, a political party, supporters of Jewish aspirations for a national kingdom. They, they favored Herod over direct Roman rule. They're political supporters of Herod Antipas. And you're just feeling a little bit of tension, right? (laughs) Here are these Herodians, anti-Roman, in Rome, serving alongside people who are descendants of Herod the Great. All the stuff that's coming from leadership in Rome. How are they going to get along? Paul says, he's my kinsman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus. Again, he doesn't say greet Narcissus. He says greet the ones who are in that household. So we don't think of Narcissus is alive, nor do we think that Narcissus was a believer. Similar situation to Aristobulus. He probably left a legacy. And some were in his house who had come to Christ. Verse twelve, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. I love their names. I just, I love saying their names. Isn't that fun? Tryphena, Tryphosa. Who are they? I don't know. We think they're sisters. Some have surmised they're twins, um, but probably sisters. They're women. Persis also, of verse twelve, also a woman. So here are these three women. How does he identify them? They're workers. Persis, particularly, like Mary, worked hard in the Lord. All three of them working hard in the Lord, for the Lord, doing the work of the ministry. Verse 13, greet Rufus, choice man in the Lord, and also his mother and mine. There's one other Rufus in Scripture. Mark 15, 21, Rufus is the son of Simon of Cyrene. Remember Simon of Cyrene? He's the one who carried the cross of Christ. It's possible that this Rufus is that Rufus. Not quite sure. Don't know. What's notable about him is that Paul says he is a choice man in the Lord. That word choice is the word he's elect. Could be that the Apostle is pointing to the fact that he has been chosen by Christ and has been elected by Christ to salvation. Or it could mean that he simply means that he thinks of Rufus as being an exceptional person. And whatever it is that Paul had a particular relationship with him and his mother. There was a deep affection between Paul and, and the mother of Rufus. Such that he said, she's my mom. And that's sweet. Verses 14 and 15, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas. They're in one home church. He says, greet them and the brothers who are with them. Seems that they're in a house church there. Verse 15, Philologus, Julia, Nurus, his sister, another unnamed person like the mother of Rufus and Olympus. And all the people who are with them. Another house church in Rome. We don't know anything about those people either other than from the names. We can devise that some of them were slaves, some of them were free people, some of them male, some of them female. The only thing that links them is the commonality of worship. In verse 16, Paul concludes his list of names with two final comments. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That was pretty common in that day and time, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Honestly, I don't know, Keith, if this has ever crossed your mind, but as I've made some trips overseas, I know that they still do that in places. And sometimes I've thought before I go, I don't know what to do if they kind of start slobbering on me. And I just, I mean, I'm a hugger and all, but thats that's like, I'm not sure about that. That's encroaching on my comfort zone. Paul actually addresses that and helps us. Kiss each other, but make sure it's holy. Make sure it's sanctified. Make sure it's pure. Tertullian calls it the kiss of peace. I think at Grace Bible Church, we would take what the Apostle Paul says and say, greet each other with a holy hug. You bet. He's just saying, be warm with each other. Be affectionate. Yeah, give a handshake. But make sure that you each know that you're loved. And then he says, all the churches greet you. Not only was Paul sending his greetings, but evidently those churches from which he had raised support for the Jerusalem church where he was taking money also were sending their greetings as well. What do you do with this? How does that help us? Have you noted all the different aspects of the names? Paul greets 26 individuals, 24 by name, 17 men, 9 women. That's kind of surprising. He identifies two particular families or households. He identifies three particular house churches. He mentions two couples, two people of political distinction, five slaves. He mentions at least three fellow Jews and... There might have been even more than that. Perhaps Mary, perhaps others. So we have a list of people in the Roman church that are a very diverse group of people that ordinarily would not have come together for any kind of common function. In fact, many of them would have been opposed to each other. And yet in the midst of this, we have some common themes. John Stott emphasizes the unity of this diverse group of people noting this. Four times, he says, Paul describes his his friends as being in Christ. Five times, in the Lord. Twice, he uses the family, family language of sister and brother. In addition, he's not inhibited from calling people beloved or my beloved. He also mentions two experiences which strengthen Christian unity, namely being fellow workers and fellow sufferers. Those common themes lead us to some principles of relationships in the body and how we care for one another. Five principles. One, some members may be less well-known, but no one is unknown. This ought to comfort our efforts to say it's not forgotten. You ever read... Some of you are doing the through the year Bible reading plan. And you get to, I can't remember exactly when it is, February, I think, maybe March, when you hit numbers. And you have just got these long list of names. And you read through them, you, can't, you don't know how to pronounce three quarters of them. There's no clue about 99% of them, who they are, where they were, what they functioned, what they did. They're just lists of names. What do you do with that? One of the things you do is you take comfort that while we don't know them, God does. He has not forgotten anyone's story. No one has escaped His notice. No service for Christ will go unrewarded. He's remembering. And you read through this list, I remember... A week ago, a little over a week ago, a week and a half ago, I started working through this list. And Where are these people? Where are these people? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's all. I don't know. God knows every story. And all those that are kind of general, the brethren with them, God knows all those stories. Some are well-known. Some are less known. But God knows them all. And God will remember to bring them all into His kingdom. Second principle. Every member has a role in the body. This list of names, while most of these people are unknown to us, ought to reaffirm our commitment to use our gifts somewhere in the body of Christ. One of our core values around here is what we call every member ministry. Every member has a gift, every follower of Christ has a gift, and that means every member has a role to play. And the church only functions well. The the church only functions as it ought to function when every member fills that role. And Paul, by identifying all these people that we don't know, reminds us of the importance of every single person. Treat every member with the dignity and affection of Christ to whom every member belongs we've already talked about this, but greet one another. Welcome one another. I commend to you. Greet them with a kiss. I affirm that He is my beloved, my beloved, my kinsman, my fellow prisoner, coworker. There's a brotherhood. There's a connection. There's a fellowship. And I don't want to belabor it, but it ought to be common that we express our common unity in Christ. It ought to happen in your home every day. You say to those to whom you live, I love you. And it ought to be common in the body of Christ. I love you and I thank God for you. The work of ministry is reciprocal. Paul is dependent on these. Paul's dependent on Prissa and Aquila to save his neck. Or save his life by their necks, if you will. Mary works hard for the Roman church, etc., etc. Sometimes Mary works. Sometimes the church works for Mary. Sometimes Paul works. Sometimes the poor church works for Paul. There's mutuality. I need you. You need me. Some days I minister to you. Some days you minister to me. We need each other. No one's indispensable. Everyone is necessary. Ministry is reciprocal. Whatever you, whatever your role in the body of Christ. Whatever you do. We need you. This body needs you. It's dependent on you. Christ put you here. So that you could fulfill that role. Now however diverse we are as individual people. Our unity in Christ. Is greater. All kinds of differences. In this list of people. One thing's common. Jesus Christ. And the commonality that we have in Jesus Christ is far greater than any difference that we have apart from Christ. So we do well to preserve the unity we have in the bond of Christ. It's fitting that we think about this passage on the weekend that we hosted a conference. I I didn't plan it that way, but I believe the Lord did. A lot of people served in a lot of ways, some of them significant in that they're highly noticeable, others in the background, nobody ever knew you did it. And will history remember everything that all of us have done for this conference? Nope, absolutely not. But the Lord knows and the Lord remembers. And the Lord is keeping account to prepare a reward when we get to glory. And we can be content that He put us here to use these gifts for His purpose, for His honor. And it's fitting for us to serve the way we do. Father, thank You for this list of names. It's it's probably not a passage that Most of us would gravitate to. I suspect most of us have heard very few sermons on passages like this. But it's good to be reminded of the centrality of the church, the purpose of the church, the need of the church, the need of every single member of the church. And how you're using the church and all of its members for your honor and your glory. Thank you how that was exhibited this weekend. thank you for how it is exhibited on a regular, even daily basis in this body. Thank you for this body that cares well for one another. And greets and welcomes, embraces and loves one another in the manner in which the apostles spoke of. Would you continue to build that love in us and continue to make us effective whether we're remembered or not. On this earth. Doing our labor. Because we know. That you remember us. And might that comfort us. And might that strengthen us. To continue serving. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.